Hi, I'm Dr. Amy Robbins, and welcome to Life, Death, and the Space Between podcast. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and medium, and here we explore life, death, consciousness, and what it all means. Today, I have Leslie Kane on the show. Leslie is an independent investigative journalist focused on bringing credible information about hidden, paranormal, and impossible realities into the mainstream. Her latest book, Surviving Death, A Journalist Investigates Evidence for an Afterlife, was awarded the Parapsychological Association Book Award and is the basis for a six-part documentary series now under production. Kane co-authored a groundbreaking front-page story for the New York Times in December 2017 about a secret Pentagon program investigating UFOs. Her previous book, UFOs, Generals, Pilots, and Government Officials Go on the Record, was a New York Times bestseller and has been published in eight additional languages. Earlier, Kane contributed articles to dozens of publications and was a broadcast journalist for public radio. Welcome, Leslie. Thanks, Amy. It's so great to be here. Good to have you. So, oh my gosh. Okay. This is like my my podcast in book form, <laughs> um, but more well-researched. So where, where did you come up with writing this book? Like what, what propelled you to do that? Well, I mean, I've, I've had an interest in these topics for a long time. And, you know, I spent, as you mentioned, I'd written a book on UFOs and I spent about a decade of work in doing work on that topic that culminated in that book in 2010. And then after that, it was, um, I was sort of moving towards doing another book and my publisher invited me to do another book. And this topic of, of the question of, of surviving death has, was, she just seemed like the absolute natural thing for me to do because I'd been exploring it off and on over the years as a journalist who's kind of interested in the big mysteries of life, you know? The big mysteries in my mind are, what, you know, two of the biggest ones are, are we alone in the universe? And what happens when we die? Do we survive death? And so, anyway, so it's just something I've been drawn to for a long time. And when the opportunity came up to do another book, um, this was the one that seemed completely natural and, and really of you know, great interest to me to pursue it. The difference with this and UFOs was, though, that I didn't know nearly as much about this topic as I knew about UFOs when I did my UFO book. Because mm-hmm. as I mentioned, I'd spent a decade working on that. And this was pretty much I, I'd known, I knew about some of the topics, but I jumped into this book as a sort of a journey, you know, and as you know, from having looked at the book that a lot of it, a lot of things happened to me in the process of that, that I never imagined. So it was, it was kind of a journey that unfolded as I was uh, researching it. And it's an integration of that element with the research. And that's what sort of set, makes it different from my first book. Yeah. And I guess I, as, as I was reading it, I was sort of under the impression that these things had happened to you, which was what kind of made you curious about it. But it sounds like maybe the opening up in exploring this allowed kind of the simultaneous personal experiences. That's right. It was just kind of a miracle the way it all, I mean, maybe it wasn't a miracle, you know, but exactly. It was during the process of being open to this and inquiring and putting my, and work, you know, going to have my first meeting, readings with mediums and meeting people that had direct experiences and all that, that kind of, it's, it was a matter of sort of shifting my perspective as well as doing research, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it wasn't before it that things happened. It was after I started. 
Yeah. So, so one of the things you talk about in the beginning of the book, and I wanted you to explain this to me and to my listeners, can you explain the survival hypothesis versus the living agent hypothesis? Yeah. Which I think was like sigh, because that was kind of the crux of a lot of what you Yeah, I mean, discussed. and I felt in the beginning, I had to just lay it out because it's, I don't, I don't like to dwell on it too much honestly, but I think it's an important thing that people have to understand it, which is basically the survival hypothesis is the one that's, that believes that we do survive death, that consciousness survives death, and it survives death in a form that where our personality traits and things about us are actually carried through. So it's a kind of a survival of the individual. And that's why like when someone goes to a medium, and accesses their loved one, that loved one will have specific characteristics that are recognizable to the person at the, who goes to the medium, right? There's a, it's not like we're just merging into some bigger consciousness, maybe more like a Buddhist concept, right? So it's, mm-hmm. it's very specifically oriented towards, we survive death with our individuality intact, and we have the ability to communicate once we're there. The living agent side hypothesis, I mean, the, the question that 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 hypothesis raises is let's use let's use mental mediumship as an example because you're a medium and I, I assume all your listeners are familiar with with what how mental mediumship works right yeah so yeah. that's the perfect way to explain this so when a medium um, the living agent psi hypothesis is saying that perhaps the information that is coming through is actually uh, coming through as a result of the medium's specific uh, abilities that are hers her own abilities. So they're the abilities of the medium to use her telepathy, her clairvoyance, to get the information via either the sitter or even other people that are not with the sitter at that time but are connected. So it's like an extreme form of psychic ability that even the medium isn't aware of because the, mm-hmm. as opposed to it being some discarnate entity that's communicating. And if indeed it is the medium's abilities that are in play and not the, a discarnate entity, then there's no, there's no survival involved, right? It's just... Right. And so that hypothesis would look at it as being, you know, that, that all of these things that we're looking at that's, that to us suggests survival, the, that hypothesis says they can all be explained as being abilities that human beings have, that, that they can generate themselves because we don't understand how psychic abilities work. We don't understand what their limitations are. You know, maybe the limits of psi are way bigger than, maybe there aren't any limits to it. We don't understand it yet. So that's, people like Stephen Browdy and Michael Suddeth and some of the philosophers who study this have proposed that as a counter explanation. And I don't think there's any way to rationally prove that when you go to a mental medium where that information is coming from, it's really up to the sitter to know that for him or herself. And I can mm-hmm. tell you, when I had my readings, the two that I wrote about in my book, I, I was blown away because I could feel the presence of those people there. I felt it to be my loved ones, you know? Right. And the information was so obscure and so personal that, you know, I just felt, and then of course, in some cases you have readings where the medium will provide information that the sitter doesn't even know. The sitter might find out two weeks later when he goes and checks with his grandmother about some obscure detail, things like that. So, but these people will argue that even those really, really obscure things could conceivably, you know, theoretically be argued as being products of the medium's own abilities as opposed to a discarnate. And that's the theory. And we, 
Right. And so we don't necessarily know where those abilities come from or who is able to access them versus who's not. We just know it's sort of the belief of like read their reading energy. Yeah, exactly. They're using their own telepathy, say. So if they mm-hmm. want to, you know, if if they'll tell you, you know, your your mother died of cancer and it was on a it was in, in the month of April and you know a bunch of information about your mother that you think, wow, how could she know that? One, this theory is that that that's that per, the medium is getting it through telepathy from you, the sitter, as opposed to your mother being there and telling her that information. Gotcha. And the argument is that the medium is not trying to be deceptive. She may not even know. She may think it's the mother, you know. Mm -hmm. She may just, she hears it, you know, however the medium, some mediums hear it, they see images or whatever. That argument, the living agency hypothesis argument is that that's just her own creative psychic powers that are that are making that information come through, not the dead mother. You know what I mean? And so you could, they can argue just on, this is all very rational and it doesn't even matter at some level, you know, because when you have a reading, right. what matters is your experience. But, you know, the, the rationality of it, there's no way to prove it one way or the other. Well, and I guess it also kind of brings into question the notion of quantum reality in some regards with some of those things. Like I'm thinking of when I was early on practicing, I did a reading for a friend and what came through was this blue ring that looked like a class ring. And I shared that with this woman who shared it with her husband because it was a message from her husband's father. So her Mm father-in-law and my friend's husband dismissed it. There's no such thing. There's no ring. My dad didn't even wear rings. He goes home two weeks later and his mom walks out of the room and says, you know, I just found this ring of your dad's. And it was exactly the ring that I had described. That's so him. awesome. Yeah. And and it hadn't even and, happened yet. So. Right. Right. Know. And so it's like, you know, was that a mess? I guess you're saying like, was that a message from the father saying this is going to come through? Was this a, a quantum reality that was created? Does it matter? Does it matter? Because we don't know. But, you know, those are the kinds of things that make you really think it was the father. Right. It's right. It's so hard to imagine that you just as this person would have the capacity to do that without tapping into something else. You know, I mean, that's just what seems true to me. But you know, it's this, these, these other arguments, they're very kind of intellectual philosophical arguments about what's mm-hmm. behind it. But that's a really good example of something the sitter didn't know. And, and you still got it, you know, even the, the person whose mother didn't was, know didn't really know because right. she had to find the ring first. Right. So it was also, there's some precognition in there too. You were probably seeing into something into the future. So, I mean, you know, who knows what the source of all of it is, but can, I can see the rationality of the argument, but I, I just know that when, it, when it's really up to the sitter to create whatever they meaning they're going to create from their readings. Mm-hmm. And I can say, you know, I mean, I was, I, when I had my, my two really powerful readings, I just let go into those readings, knowing that I was taping them, that I could analyze them later. And mm-hmm. I felt them to be really there. And it was more than just what they were saying. There's also personality traits and styles of speaking and all kinds of things that come through. And so it doesn't feel to me like it's a create, it's, it feels like it is that person there. So what else can you do except, you know, who wants to be bothered by these arguments? I, I would encourage, you know, it's just a matter of having the reading and marveling at it and, and 
you know, it'll, it's going to mean for you, whatever you allow it to mean for you. So you researched, you went into a lot of depth about children with past life memories. Yeah. And told, I think there were two incredible stories in the book from of very young children who had described in detail, one was a World War II plane that this child, I believe, died in. Um, how do people explain away those experiences? It's so, interesting because I haven't, I've never heard anyone really be able to explain them away. Except, I mean, the really far-fetched things might be that the parents hoaxed it or that the child was exposed to things that the parents aren't telling us about or things like that. You know, I mean, a debunker can create anything they want to explain something mm-hmm. away, but I've never seen, I really haven't seen a good counter explanation for that. But I'm sure there are, I mean, it all has to do with, it's it's not going to be within the materialist framework that's for sure right so there may be other elements of people who study consciousness and who study you know different dimensions and perceptions and all that that might have other ways of seeing how you might connect with a with something like that in a child that probably go beyond my understanding but I don't I've never heard any kind of materialist way of dismissing this other than accusing them of fraud but you know in one of the cases that I had um, uh, Jim Tucker from the this Department of Perceptual Studies at University of Virginia was involved before they had any idea who the previous person was, the, the, who the child was remembering. So he was monitoring every memory as it came along, therefore recognizing that it wasn't fraud. I mean, these parents lived out in the middle of nowhere, and it turned mm-hmm. out that the person who the child remembered was an obscure person that they couldn't possibly have found and then fed the child the information to have the memories, you know. It just couldn't have been. And it, since he was in, in on it from the beginning, he could monitor everything and know that that wasn't happening. So it's really an airtight, airtight case. Mm-hmm. Child, um, Ryan Hammonds was his name. Yeah. Yeah. He, and he had like over 50 memories that were validated to be accurate when they. And this was the child of ho- with the Hollywood. Yeah. Memories. It's an incredible case. Yeah. No, it is hard to explain them, explain them away, except for some other element of consciousness or, you know, maybe who knows what else might explain it. But it's, Mm -hmm. I think the people who study it from University University of Virginia certainly believe that reincarnation is a logical explanation that they can come up with. And that's Mm -hmm. certainly what the child is saying they're experiencing. I mean, they're experiencing what to them are memories and things they've already lived through. So you know, you either accept it or you don't, I guess. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so you, on this show, we've interviewed the medium that you talked about in the book, Laura Lynn Jackson, um, and spoken, I've spoken about after death communications, but you get into some other phenomenon. Can you talk about ghosts and apparitions? Because this this blew my mind your experience that you had with that family yeah so you're talking so the the probably the, the part of the book actually Lloyd Auerbach was my sort of go-to expert for that topic because it's not something I knew a lot about and he wrote this really great chapter in my book because some of the chapters in my book were written by other people and so okay. yeah and he being an expert on apparitions are you talking about the family with a little boy who could I it was just phenomenal and, and there aren't that many cases like that unfortunately but 
he really makes the distinction, uh, you know, for an apparition to be really a representation of a consciousness, that there needs to be interaction. He calls them interactive apparitions. That's how you know that there's some element of consciousness present. Otherwise, it's more like a haunting where it's just sort of something that's a loop that's something that's kind of playing over and over again that might be tied to a location. Like when people, you know, if it's the same thing that people hear or see all the time in the same location. But when you have an apparition that seems responsive to 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 the people around it, it's a whole different thing. And that's how this one was. So can you talk a little about that experience and what it was like for you? Because you went and visited. Yeah, actually, it wasn't me. It was Lloyd who visited that family. Okay. That was his chapter. Yeah, it's easy. It's easy when you're reading to forget that I'm not the one writing the chapter because <laughs> it's in the gotcha. first person. Um, so he was talking about his own experience. Of, but he, he, yeah, he went. And what happened was there was an, a, a 12-year-old boy and two parents in the family. And they all saw at different times this woman it's an apparition of a woman and she would wave to them and really interact with them. Um, they all saw her at different times. They weren't in, in the beginning. They didn't talk much to each other about it, but then they finally realized that they were all seeing her. And it turned out that this 12 year old boy was like communicating with this woman. Her name was Lois, the apparition. So he would just have all these conversations with her. And when, when Lloyd Auerbach went to visit the family, he was sitting with the child and they were having to actually have able to have a dialogue because the, the boy could hear everything that the ghost was saying or the apparition was saying. It was kind of like mediumship in a way, you know, mm-hmm. except the apparition was like sitting there and they could have two-way conversations with it through this child. And what happened eventually was that the, the apparition provided information about her life that to the child that they were able to verify was accurate. Otherwise, you'd have no idea. Is the child just fantasizing, making all this stuff up? But she was able, he was able to get enough information about her life, Lois's life, that they finally found a relative of Lois who was able to verify that the things were accurate that she had said, which means that something real was going on there. The other thing she did, though, was she started to talk to them about, so they had had conversations in the car. Lloyd and his Mm -hmm. two associates who went to the house to visit this family had had these conversations in the car driving to the house before they got there, right? And Lois, during the time that they were sitting there and communicating with her through this boy, started telling them about, commenting on things they had said in the car on their way to the to the house. So she was like saying, oh, what you said about such and such, well, I would say such and such. And to, and to each one of them, she commented on something they said. And that really blew them away, of course, because um, no one could have known that. Right. Know? I mean, right. So, and was, so then that's, I mean, God, what does that even mean for consciousness? It's like sort I'm of, trying to yeah, I mean, wrap my mind around that I know, one. it's sort of like an advanced state of mediumship where there's a, a visual component where the, there's a visual form that can be seen. But I mean, as a medium, you know, sometimes you'll, you'll probably tap into things that have happened in that person's life that day or the previous few days, it's sort of like that, but in a, at a very intense level. That's the way I see it. So they were able, to, they were not able to see the apparition. They, nobody else the, was at that time, at that day. No, no. But this little boy could see her in that moment I'm, or just hear good her? Good question. I'm not sure. I don't remember if he even made that distinction. I mean, I know he could see her a lot, but maybe he didn't always see her because he talked to her almost every day. Mm-hmm. 
And it, yeah, it almost reminded me of like the, there was something about it that felt like the giving tree story. It was like she helped him grow and then he grew up and she he didn't need her in that way anymore. I mean, they had a very sweet relationship. It's true. And then when she she got a little older and started going out with girls and stuff, she kind of faded away from his life. Mm-hmm. He said that he she used to help him with his homework. I mean, I find it's just baffling. But I think that and two things that really make it evidential are the fact that the family members all saw her and that they were able to verify the information that she said about her own life and that she was able to provide that information about the people in the car. There was some, something going on there that wasn't, it wasn't just a fantasy. And there aren't a lot of cases like that out there. I don't of- think, not that I'm aware of. Because, yeah, there aren't, I mean, the the most important cases are ones where information can be verified like that. But I don't think in most cases of apparitions that people even get information at all. It's more about seeing, you know, than it is about hearing, hearing information. So this was really unusual. And that that boy sort of had like these mediumistic abilities to you know, to hear the information. But the, the, the most, the, the cases of apparitions on record that are really, you know, more common and that are also really evidential are ones where you have multiple witnesses to the same apparition. Mm-hmm. Or you have a group of people seeing it all at the same time from different vantage points. But um, it's just like you, <clears throat> you, it's like people go on those haunting tours, right? And they see ghosts. I mean, versus... I don't know how often they actually see ghosts on those tours. <laughs> I don't know. I sort of think most of them are probably a little bit hokey. They might hear some weird sounds or something, but I haven't heard of, I mean, cause I remember looking into this and trying to find really solid cases for ghosts and there really weren't a lot of them. You know, there are a lot of, a lot of shows for ghost hunting and stuff like that, yeah. but that's not quite, it's not really at a good this... enough level, you know, to be evidenced. Right. But right. there are, and there's, you know, there are some cases and some locations that are really, really have a lot of stuff going on. It's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So were you involved in the seances? Well, I did uh, sit in some seances. I have, yeah, with various physical okay. mediums, which is a whole other type of mediumship that is very hard to talk about because it's so strange. <laughs> so <laughs> but, can you speak a little bit to that? Because it is, it is. It's pretty strange. I mean, I, yeah. I, it helps to know that your viewers already know about mediumship in general, right? They already yes. know how mental yeah. mediumship works. I don't know how many of them even have are familiar with even with trance mediumship where the, you know, that's another, where another, where the medium will do basically what you do, but in a trance state. Which means, yeah. So that's there have been mediums that do that, where they they're they're in a they're sort of you know going to sort of an unconscious state, and then the spirit person will actually speak directly through them. So it's like channeling, kind of. Yeah, but I just hate the person. word channeling, though. But yeah, I mean, I think in the they, the, the best mediums in history, they they call them trance mediums, where they. It, and where they could actually dialogue, where this, the, the uh, spirit person could actually dialogue with the sitter. And there was a famous one called Mrs. Leonora Piper. If anybody wants to find out about this, she was unbelievable. And she was studied by scientists all over the world, scrutinized for years and years and years and years, you know. And she could have these extensive conversations with the sitter, details about and you just something you could never imagine happening today. And I don't, I don't quite know why, but you know, detailed conversations have gone for long times where it was really like you were sitting there and just talking to the person. 
you know, through her. Mm. It's just, but it's pretty rare. Um, and then all the, everything that said was accurate and the, the sitter could verify everything. So, but the different, the only difference is that you're in a, a, she's in an altered state of consciousness and the spirit is speaking directly through her body. And so to take it into, in physical mediumship, that's what's happening. But not only do you have that happening, but you also have physical manifestations going on in the room that are caused by the presence of that spirit person in the body of the medium. And you usually have a group of people that sit regularly with this physical medium and it's the energies of the combination of the group energy and the, the medium's energy and the, the spirit person that's speaking through the medium is able to manifest all these physical effects in the room that are phenomenal and not supposed to be able to happen. And this is something that's happened throughout history. And I think most people mm -hmm. think all physical mediums are frauds, but you know, I was astonished to discover that that, that is definitely not true. Um, and it was, to me, the most interesting part of my journey was discovering this about physical mediumship. There were many of them that were documented by top-level scientists of their day, you know, Nobel Prize-winning scientists, medical doctors, psychologists, in enclosed spaces with absolute, where they have complete control of the environment and they know that they're holding the hands of the media, you know, everything is in place to be able to prove that the phenomenon the phenomena that occur are not caused by fraud. And that's, it's possible to do that if you have the right setup in the room. And that has been documented. And before I talked about my own experiences in my book, I shared some of that so that people could maybe sort of build up an acceptance of that this can happen because these very astute investigators made it clear through their own controlled methods that these, these things actually happen and they're unexplainable and they're not caused by fraud or deception or trickery or anything like that. Now, in many cases, they are, though. Just to add, it doesn't, it's not to say that there aren't lots of fraudulent mediums, and there have been many, many of them. But, you know, the ones that we're interested in are the genuine ones, and they're the, they mm -hmm. exist as well. And that's the point. That's what's important. Yeah. With the physical mediumship, what types of physical manifestations did you experience? Well, so I personally worked, experienced some things with a man named Stuart, Al Stuart Alexander, who's a medium who's been practicing in England for about 40 years. He's in his mid seventies. And a lot of it happens in the dark, but some of it happens in the light and there are objects in the room that have illuminated bands on them. So I have witnessed things like um, tables, levitating up in the air. I've witnessed uh, this cone-shaped object that they call a trumpet. It's like got a, a small, a narrow end, and then a bigger end, like a megaphone. It's a, mm -hmm. And it's, it's got a, a light around the end of it. And that trumpet gets levitated in the room, and it will fly all around the room. It'll go up to the ceiling, bang on the ceiling. It'll And this is in the pitch dark. So if it was a human being doing it, they couldn't do it in the pitch dark because it's all over the place. Plus it'll like stroke your face very gently like this. And, and I, I've had it go around my face and just touch every place except my glasses just perfectly. Yeah, and then sometimes it'll suspend, it'll, let, it'll just be suspended in the air and a voice will speak through it. That is one of the strangest things I've ever heard. This sounds crazy. I know it does. That's why I hate to talk about it. And that's why- I mean, it's you know, fascinating. So fascinating. But, oh and that's God. why I think for anybody, that's why I encourage people, you know, to read my book in order, because I think if they read what comes before they hear about this, and here I am just talking about it out of context, so I feel a little 
Like people are going to think, what, this woman's lost her mind, you know? No. But well, I, just, I tried to, and my, my listeners, we've been talking, you've been talking about sort weird of in stuff, the, right? Yeah. It yeah, is we've phenomenal. Been about all of this. So. And you know, it really does happen. I mean, you have, there are many places where it, it, people can, people do commit fraud and they even do it now. So I have been working with this guy, studying him for five years or more and sat with him many, many, many times and I absolutely have scrutinized everything and I know for sure that this is the real deal. Um, so I can just assure anybody. That, and so that's, yeah, I mean, it is absolutely mind life-changing to see these things. And there's another thing they do, another thing that happens in there, which is, is very important to Stuart, he feels it's really more important than the physical, is that the loved ones will speak through him, just like we were talking about earlier. So if somebody's going to hear from their dad, they'll hear directly. The dad will speak through Stuart. And so that person can talk to them directly as opposed to with a mental medium where you, you have to kind of get it through the medium, you know. So mm-hmm. there's some of that that happens as well. And there are different spirits that have different jobs. So one of them, one of their job, one of, there's one named Frida whose job it is to bring the loved ones through for the sitters. And she will, sometimes the, the loved ones will speak directly. Other times she will act more like a mental medium and kind of share information for the sitter. You but, know? She, but she's in spirit form. She's in spirit, Not exactly. In exactly. Gotcha. Exactly. She's one of the spirit team. And, and Stuart Alexander is completely unconscious. I mean, he goes into trance at the beginning has absolutely no memory of anything that happens when he wakes up. You know, he'll always just say, oh, was it okay when he wakes up? Was everything okay? You know, he's completely gone. And these miraculous things happen. These spirit people are speaking in their animated voices, and there's all this energy in the room, and he's just nowhere, you know? (laughs) So how long are you, how long did you do that for? How long have I been doing this with, or you mean how long does he seance take is that what you mean yeah or were you a part of this group for a, a long period it's of time it's been about five to... years now I think I it was in yeah it was in 2015 that I first sat with Stuart in the spring it's been just about five years okay. and I went over to England and sat I think I had two or three sittings the first time I went and it was while I was writing the book it was towards the end of the book and I really wanted to include it in the book and I have but you know he had to meet me first he does he's not a person who likes publicity at all you know after he met me he agreed to allow me to write about it and then he ended up actually contributing his own chapter which is the last chapter of my book is actually written by him where readers can hear directly from him about what he's doing and how he does it and what it means and how he developed it and you know it's fascinating because this is to me this is the most one of the most mysterious things I've ever encountered you know is how these things can happen and the other mm-hmm. really really out there thing that happens which I'll talk about because it's in my book is there are materializations of of hand of a hand that I've witnessed and touched many many times and so have many other people uh, you know, it's not just me. And that is just mind blowing. And again, this is something that other mediums have done in the past, and it's been studied and documented. He's not the first one, and no, I don't think most people know that. But so I had studied the history of that, and I had studied other, you know, scientists who have documented it. And then I was so happy to have found somebody that actually can do it now. It was just mind blowing for me. And so mm-hmm. he. I mean, I can tell you a little bit about that if you'd like. I don't know. So a hand appears that's not attached to anything. Exactly. It appears out of a substance called ectoplasm, which again, people think is 
complete ghostbusters. Yeah, exactly. And they think, what are you talking about? But there's a lot I have in my book about what that substance is and what scientists have said about it over the years. And, you know, we don't, we're not going to go into all of that right now, but it isn't, it is a real substance. There are photographs of it. And it's something that many, many mediums have talked about over the years that they, and it's sort of like an energy substance that comes out of the body of the medium. And it allows the, the spirit team, this is how they explain it. You know, like the living agent side people would probably not say it's not a spirit team, but I'm going to, I'm going to take it as they describe it, Um, that the spirit team will manipulate this, this stuff called ectoplasm to do the things that they do. So when the trumpet's flying around the room, they're using the ectoplasm to make that happen. Same thing with the the hand that materializes. What happens is there's a, a table with a light on underneath it. So you can see everything. The table, the light comes up through the bottom of the table and it has a red cloth over it. And you can see a cloud of ectoplasm. It kind of comes, if this is the table, you see it kind of coming over the edge of the table like this. And it just looks like this grayish mass of sort of moving, looks like water almost or something. And it's just, it comes closer and closer. And then it kind of, it, you see it form into digits And then it suddenly is up like this and you see that it's three-dimensional and the hand bangs on the table like that and makes a loud sound to show you that it's a solid object. I mean, you just can't believe it because a a minute ago, there was nothing there. It was an empty space. And then it recedes and then what happens usually is the way it usually works. Then the hand will come back on the table. The same thing, it'll form out of the ectoplasm and then it allows the sitter sitting opposite it, which will be this hand, Mm -hmm. to touch it and you'll, you'll hold it like this and you can feel, you feel the knuckles, the fingernails, everything. It just feels like a, it's warm. The one I, the experiences of I had is it's usually very warm and very, and a large, very warm and very soft hand. It's, it's warmer and softer than you would expect, but everything else just feels like a totally normal hands and it moves and it's responsive and you kind of touch it for a while and then it, it pulls off the table and it's, you know, it's gone. And that's the experience. And the, one of the spirit people whose, whose hand it is, is kind of talking through the whole thing and telling you, okay, now you can touch it. And now I'm going to do this. And so that, that being is the way he describes it is he's taking his etheric hand, slowing down mm-hmm. his vibration enough to take his etheric hand and put it into this ectoplasm. And then he can somehow they can allow it to be, to manifest in the physical plane I think it has a lot to do with just slowing down the vibration a whole lot right because I guess when you're in the spirit world you're you're all around us but you're operating in a much higher vibration it's one's very right. simplistic so it way doesn't to understand have it. form exactly I guess, right right I mean the way Stuart described it once which I thought was a really cool analogy I mean again I don't proclaim I don't understand any of this believe me but, uh, <laughs> but the way he described it was you know how if you take like a, a rope and you swing it really really fast you can't see that rope right you can swing mm-hmm. it so fast that you can't see it but right. it's there and you can only see it when you slow it down so he sort of made that analogy, which I thought was kind of interesting. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, like they're at a, they're at a high vibration that's so high that you can't see them or feel them. But then if they slow down enough, they become solid. But again, I can't explain it. But that's sort of the closest analogy I've been able to get to it. And somehow this, this substance, you know, he can kind of go in there and it's like a glove and he can somehow bring his hand into human form through that. Two more quick questions. Sure. Why do you think there's so much resistance to accepting what you've laid out in this book? Well, I think it's because the materialist worldview, which is the dominant one in our scientific reality, you know, our scientific perspective, 
it doesn't fit into that. They can't explain mm-hmm. how these things could happen. So therefore, the basic premise is it can't happen. Therefore, it doesn't happen. I mean, that's what the <clears throat> hardcore materialists will say. There's got to be an explanation. I mean, just these things can't happen, right? So they don't happen. So, I mean, I think that's a real simplistic way to answer it, but it just, mm-hmm. it's, it doesn't fit into a perspective. It seems so reductionist. Exactly. To, to say that. I like know. Just because it ha- can't doesn't, it means it doesn't. I think a lot of scientists feel that way. And then, I mean, I've actually heard some of them pretty much say that, you know, that we already understand everything there is to understand about physics and the phys- material world. And therefore, you know, these things just don't happen. It's just, and I think it for, for ones that may have an, an inkling of opening to openness to it, maybe it's a threat to their their worldview, a threat mm-hmm. to their even to their careers or their, you know, life paths or whatever. Right. Um, I'm always amazed that there's not more curiosity about it, though. You know that scientists would not it's, like be. What is more fascinating? Yeah, than like this, I curious, think. like even mental mediumship, like the this, 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 the one you described about the ring. I mean, why wouldn't scientists be fascinated to try to understand? Well, this is part of consciousness. How does mm-hmm. this work, and why is it happening? And right. they're not. They're just not. I mean, there are some that are. Of course, like, you know, Dean Radin at IONS. And of course, there are some wonderful people out there who study this. But mm-hmm. so it's not like all of them. But the sort of prevailing view is that forget it. The stuff doesn't happen. And when you talk about physical mediumship, you can really forget it. Right, right. You know? um, and the physical, me- the scientists have been pretty brutal on physical mediumships mediums throughout the course of history. I mean, I mentioned that there are some who studied them and documented it beautifully, but there are a lot of others who were absolutely brutal because they could not accept that this could be real and they would destroy these people, even if, for, for a very unfair reasons, even the, the, even the genuine mediums. So. so after researching all of this, what do you feel like you know for sure? Oh, that's a hard one. The for sure part is the hard part. <laughs> I don't think there is a for sure. But um, I certainly know that consciousness is way bigger and way more mysterious than we, than I thought it was before, than I was aware mm-hmm. before. And that there's just, there is a bigger reality way beyond the physical material world that to me is is utterly fascinating. And all you can do is try to get closer to it and learn more and more about it. But it's not like you're ever going to solve the mystery of it. But I think that's part of what's wonderful about it, mm-hmm. you know, is that, and, and you can, you can enter into that through study. You can enter it through experience. And I think more, I think so many people have had experiences of connection to that through all these different various ways. We've talked about some of them, but there are even more ways. I think so many more people connect to that than we realize because so many people mm-hmm. don't talk about it. So I don't think it's, I think it's familiar to a lot of people, but there's so much more to learn about it. And we'll probably never get any final answers, you know, because we will never know unless we can die and come back with such clear evidence that we've really done that, that everybody accepts it and believes it, then we're never going to have concrete evidence for what it's like in the afterlife. Although every person might have their own evidence that they accept, right? 
Right, right. But to have a consensus right. is a whole different thing. And then you've got religions that play their role as well. Wow. So, you know, it's so, so complicated, but it's a very yeah. personal thing. I, I re- Ultimately, I think it's up to the individual because it's the experiences that really teach you way more than yep. the study. Mm-hmm. And well, which I know you know. So that's everybody yeah. just needs to go out there and jump in and, and have their experiences and it'll change your life. That's what I, you know, it's like. That's the best thing you can do, I think. And ask questions. Yeah, and I ask questions. I totally agree. It's it's your own experience that is what shifts and change things. It changes things for you. Exactly. Well, thank you oh, thank so you for having much. Me. This was great. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was great for me, and I wish you all the best with your mediumship work. Thank I'm glad you. Glad you're doing that, and I'm glad you're doing this podcast. It's really important. If people want to find you, where can they do that? Um, well, my website is Surviving Death and then my name, Surviving Death Kane, which is spelled K-E-A-N. So it's okay. Surviving Death Kane, or they can find me on Facebook. Yeah. And this will be in my show notes as well. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, well, thank you so much, Leslie, for your time today. Okay, it was great to be on with you. Like what you heard today and want to hear more? Wondering what comes next and what it all means? Head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. Also, if you could take a minute to rate and review my podcast, I would really appreciate it. Stay tuned as we continue to explore life, death, and the space between.